0: Lord, we thank you for the chance to read your word. Lord, we open it with a sense of reverence today. These are not just words on a page. Mighty God, they are the power of life. We thank you for giving us the right way to aim. Lord God, for showing us the direction, the path of life. Help us to walk in it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning is Sunday. It is September 20th. Uh, the Hebrew month is Tishri, and we have just had Rosh Hashanah. Um, our message today is called Stop lights and Trumpets. Everybody knows what stoplights are, right? You come to an intersection, there's a light hanging there, and we call it a stoplight. Some people call them red lights. Very rarely do you call them traffic lights, although that's what they are. What is it about us that chooses to focus on restriction? Think about this. When you come to a stoplight, there are three lights on it, and there are different colors. So green means, where's that? Yellow means, hurry up. (laughs) Proceed with caution. Red means, stop. Why do we refer to them as stoplights if two-thirds of what they tell you to do is how to go? Go and go cautiously. Only one-third of it is stop. The lights are not put there to make you stop. They're put there so that they will influence your behavior and cause you to drive in a way that shows regard for everybody else on the road. You might call them safety lights. You could even call them life lights if you want. The law of God, the word of God is exactly the same way. Two-thirds of it is simply directed at the right way to walk with God and man. In other words, it's about the right things to do. It's not about restriction. It's about how to walk with God and not how to stop with God. One of the saddest things that has happened is the devil has redefined Christianity on the basis of what Christians do not do. We're Christians because we do not move forward at the intersection. We're Christians because we do not. We do not. We do not. This is not the aim of the Word of God anymore Then a traffic light's aim is simply to make you stop. It is one function of the Word of God to stop you from doing something that would harm someone else. But far more than two-thirds of the Word is aimed at getting you to walk with freedom to do the right things. Can you imagine? How many days have you ever been in a storm and you're driving your car, right? And you're going 60, 70, 80, 30 miles an hour. And the traffic lights are out. Do you come to that intersection with a certain level of intrepidation? Because you don't know what the other person's going to do. That's what it would be like to have not the Word of God. The Word is meant to be, in our lives, a guide to what is right. We had a prophecy today, a good prophecy, a prophecy that was right on. It contained a tiny little error. And the point is not that a person made an error, the point is that all of us have this misconception. When you think of the law, you think of the broken law. We focus on restriction. We focus on error. Deuteronomy 10.2 says that God made tablets, just like the first ones, that were unbroken. And the unbroken law was put in something called an ark. I want you to hear this. They didn't just call it an ark. Do you know what they called it? The ark of the testimony. And saints, it is not the testimony of God that you are lawbreakers. It is the testimony of God that in Him, you become law keepers. In Him, you have the ability to carry out the Word of God. They did not carry around a testimony that said, the law is broken beyond repair. If you think I'm wrong about this, look it up. I was taught this all of my life incorrectly. A great man of God taught me many wonderful things, and so I taught many of you incorrectly, and that's how that prophecy comes forward, that the broken law is in the ark. It's not broken. The testimony of God is that he put it back together again. That is glory. (laughs) I want you to understand you are not defined by your mistakes in life. You are not defined by the time that you failed. You are defined by the time you got it Right. Come on, saints. That stoplight, you can call a stoplight, but most of the time you don't stop at them. You go. When you travel, it's not about stops. It's about going. How many of you get excited to stop somewhere? Well, no wonder the world isn't happy with Christianity. No wonder it's not attractive. People don't want to get born again. Great, I get to stop. Wonderful. Stop this. Stop that. Stop this. The Word of God is aimed at doing rightly. Not stopping. This is such a mistake. It is such a mistake because all we see is restriction and bound. And then we point at other people and say it's legalism. I want you to understand. Some people have a negative view of food, right? And if not the kind of food they eat, the kind of food you eat they have a negative view of. The Bible says the righteous eat till their heart's content. Some people have a negative view of alcohol. The Bible says wine makes the heart merry. Some people have a negative view of music. And the Bible presents it as dancing before God. The Bible is not a book of restriction. It is not a stoplight. It is a way that shows you how to go, how to proceed with caution, and occasionally where you must stop for someone else's benefit. Why do you stop? For someone else's benefit. God is not honored simply because you stop. If he was honored by that, he would choose rocks to praise him. He would choose the trees. He's honored by what we do. How many of you know that David did many things wrong in his life? Right? Right. Many things wrong. Some of you have never risen to the level of wrong that David rose to. Why is he a man after God's own heart? Because he stopped doing bad things? Acts says because he did what God told him to do and fulfilled his purpose in his own generation. That's right. Saints, I want to tell you, this pastor does many things that are wrong. But that's not what defines me. And I am not defined by the fact that I would manage to stop doing a few of those things that are wrong. I am defined by the fact that I do what God tells me to do. Amen. 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 Turn with me to Psalm 119 take a little different direction
1: here.
0: I'm not going to forget that it's Rosh Hashanah, and I promise we'll get to that. Psalm 119, look at verse 41. By the way, don't you ever be scared to prophesy that you might get a word wrong. That little bitty part did not change the intention at all. I want you to understand, if we were bound to perfection, all of you would be damned. Here, I said that, all of you would be damned. That flows a lot easier off than I would be damned. None of us want to be damned. The point is, is God works through imperfection in perfect ways. That glorifies Him. If He worked through perfect vessels, it would honor the vessel. He works through imperfect people in perfect ways. Where does that leave you, Smiley? If God works through imperfect people... Through perfect ways. Where does that leave you, Gabe Mace? Where does that leave you, Bob Cook? It leaves us all in hope yes. that God can use us too. This is a gospel of hope, not one of restriction. We are not carrying around a box of our failure for 1,600 years. We are carrying around something that is life and life to the fullest. That says, yes, it was broken, but God fixed it. Yes, it was broken, but God it. Fixed it. Come on now. Yes, it was broken, but God fixed it. It doesn't matter how many times you break it. God will put it back together. That gives me hope. Most of you sitting out there can point to some area in my life that I didn't handle you rightly. But God will fix it if you give him a chance. Just like he's been fixing mine. I got two young men over here that I love. I love them because God singled them out. He brought them into this place. They live a long ways away. They found a righteous woman and hitched a ride on her coattails in here. That's good. That's what mamas are for. Mm -hmm. They're not going to get everything right. One of them's in her cast today. He had to give somebody an attitude adjustment. (laughs) I don't know what that's like at all. man sitting on the front row threw me out of school for doing that. He's not defined by the fact that he got that wrong. He'll be defined by all that he does right in his life. What do you remember Thomas Edison for? His failures? Is that what you remember him for? Our God is not defining you by your failure. Listen to Psalm 119. Start with me in verse 41. May your unfailing love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. It sounds like the people of God, no matter who they were, always were in need of salvation. Those of you that are in foundations know that from hearing the first chapter of Corinthians, salvation is not always presented in the past tense. It says, among those who are being saved. Sometimes it's presented in the future tense, when we will be saved you know why? We are all, we were saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. God's people never stop getting in trouble. In fact, the prophets were called troublers of Israel. Then I will answer the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Do not snatch the word of truth from my mouth. If the devil were going to take it, where would he find it? supposed to be in your mouth. To meditate does not mean this, uh, um, that's not meditate. Meditate in Hebrew is to repeat the Word of God on your tongue, under your breath, all day long. On your Word, I will meditate day and night. I will meditate on your Word when I lie down and when I wake up. I will meditate. It actually in Hebrew sounds like a lion growling. If the devil were going to take the word from you, he should have to reach into your mouth and get it. Where do you keep your word? Backdash of your car? White's purse. Oh, I know. Some of your favorite storage places are these chairs. So that when you do need it again next week, it will be there. Friends, I'm happy you bring Bibles to church. Church is the one place where somebody would have a spare for you. You know where you need your Bibles? The same place you need your sword. Where the enemy is. Get it on your tongue. Learn to speak it. Listen to this. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom. Freedom. The first words God says to man is, You are free to eat. And I love it. Free to eat. God is a God of freedom, Freedom. not restriction. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings, and I will not be put to shame. Now, I know we read this, and it's the Word, so the Word's always right. And I mean, it's the Word, so it just kind of... Of course it's poetic. Of course it's beautiful. And in the King James, it's even more beautiful, right? Don't you forget something. A man sat down... And wrote this for the very first time. His heart being expressed before God. Think about it as if C.J. wrote it. What would you think if the young man said, because I have learned God's word, I will speak before kings and I will walk about in freedom. It sounds like it had a profound effect on the man's life. It sounds like it gave him a confidence where there had been no confidence before. It sounds like he felt divinely enabled because God's Word was in him. The Word of God is supposed to do that. It is supposed to make you competent. It is supposed to make you full of confidence. And yes, it is also supposed to point out the areas you need to grow in. But the net result of the Word of God is walking in freedom in the kingdom. is only one I'm particularly concerned with, and He has given me the right to walk in His presence, then the question becomes, why do I not always choose that? It just so happens that the times I don't choose that is when I was not meditating on His word, but some other lowly principle, like my rights, like my feelings, like my pride, like my lack, like my, 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 my. my. You get His Word in you and it will adjust everything in your life. We've never had such an abundance of Bibles in all the world's history. I don't think there's been more Bibles than there are in the United States. And you would think that that would mean that the people would know the Word, know the Word, know the Word. What the history calls Renaissance, the Age of Enlightenment, was really when people got Bibles for the first time in their own language, and within two years of the Bible breaking forth in German, breaking forth in English in its respective places, the average commoner on the street knew more of the word than the priesthood who had had it for 1,600 years in Latin. When it was rare, it was sought after. When it was rare, you would die for it. When it was rare, you wanted it. And when you got it, man, you had something. But when it's plentiful and it's everywhere, it's... Well, you know, I mean, so what if that one got torn up? The Gideons will bring me another one. Come on, saints. This was meant to empower us. It was meant for freedom. It was meant so that you would know the right things to do and could do it full force. Come on, have you never been in a situation... God, I don't know how to help Cody. What do I do? And so it's kind of like, well, I think maybe I'll try. And you're hesitant. I don't know how many times I've been working on a car and I didn't know how hard to push on something, whether to pull. I call Adam and he says, yeah, man, it'll pop right out. And then you put gorilla force on it. And you know what? What you couldn't do before because of hesitance and you just weren't sure and would it break and all, all of a sudden works immediately. One time we struggled for hours putting in a fuel pump. A little bit of Vaseline on it, did it, right. There. Sometimes we just don't know what we should do, and the word is put there to show you. Yeah, man, you can blow right through this intersection at eighty miles an hour. Don't, I mean, sixty-five miles an hour. Don't slow down. Don't slow down. You're in the what do we call it? Right of way. You're in the right of way. No hesitance. Go full force after it, man. It's yours for the take. Doesn't that feel good? I used to love a long, desolate stretch of country road. Nothing in my way. Just let me go. That's what the Word of God is. It points you in the direction that there is nothing in your way. Just go. And when something gets in your way, the Word says go. You run it over. You stomp it under your feet. You tread it out like mud in the streets. That's what the word is for. It is freedom. I won't ask you to turn there because I know you all know what Hosea 4.6 says, right? Because when I say that, Hosea 4.6, it comes right to mind, doesn't it? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. How many of you could quote that, though? All you didn't know is in Hosea 4, but if I said my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge... Why can't we quote it? Isn't that amazing? I've been doing that for years. For for years I've been doing that. And no matter what church I was in, nobody ever jumped up and said, Hosea 4-6! How long will we talk about the Word without learning the Word? How long will you depend on everybody around you? What one of my brothers I love very much called tribal knowledge. How long will you depend on tribal knowledge? Well, I think it says something like. Well, man, how long have you had the word? How long have you had it? When does it become your responsibility to not think it says something like, but say, what does it say? So, Eric, I mean, I'm just not all that studious. Intellect's not my thing. Right. You're the one human being that God designed in such a way that his word won't fit in you. I think that the Creator knew what he was doing when he made you. Some of you learn in an auditory fashion some of you are very visual learners whatever it is figure it out and do it otherwise you'll be tentative your whole life and you know what the ones that lag behind the ones that are weary they're the ones that get cut off by the Amalekites it has always been this way but you show me somebody that is hungry for the word that is passionate for the word in the first six months of their salvation and they will pass up those that have been hanging around church for twenty years Happens every time. It never stops amazing me how it happens. God will take kids with no high school education, give them a hunger for the word, and they become superstars. People with PhDs and no hunger for the word become serious duds. Hmm. Why don't we go ahead and turn to Samuel. That's what I said I was going to do. Wouldn't it be good if I did what I said I was going to do? Let's pick up in 1732. Uh, I think everybody knows that we have a giant in this chapter, right? Giants were usually descendants of Rapha or descendants of Anak. They were a giant race called. Nephilim. And uh, they show up throughout the word. In fact, all seven nations that Israel drove out before them had giants in them. Why do you think God picked the smallest of all nations and had them drive out other nations full of giants? What is that supposed to be speaking to you? Somebody whispered it over there. That's good. You don't have to whisper. You can speak. Got shy all of a sudden. Trust in God. That's absolutely right. It is the message of faith. Why is your heart immediately drawn to a story like David and Goliath? Why do you like to see the little guy whip up on the big guy? Is it because all big guys are inherently bad? Cody? (laughs) Is that why? No, it's because we know that something special, something extraordinary has to happen for the small to overpower the large, don't we? We inherently, that's why a movie with, I mean, just stellar acting, I mean, amazing, beautiful, thespian-like skills. Rocky. <laughs> Master of the English language unlike the world had ever seen before. Is such a bestseller. It appeals to something that is put within us. It would be supernatural. It would be extraordinary for a little bitty Italian runt to beat up on some giant, right? And we like that because... Our God is taking the simple things from the world and overcoming the powerful things. It's true in intellectual prowess. It's true in world standing. It's true in stature. It's true in economic size. It's true in population. It's true every way that it can be true. All you need to do is look in the Word. All of that should speak one message to you. No matter how big your problems are, God can overcome them through you. And yet, what does the devil tell you night and day? You got the one problem that nobody can fix. Right? Anybody in here heard that lie? Okay, Elizabeth has. Anybody else heard that lie yes. in here? Yes.
1: Yes.
0: If y'all don't talk to me, I'm going to quit. And if I quit, where will you be? I mean it'd be kind of awkward to assemble in here. Right? Maybe will preach. Pick up in verse thirty two. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go in fighting. Saul replied, You are not able to go out. Oh, that's nice he's so encouraging. You are not able to go out against the Philistines and fight him. You are only a boy. In Hebrew, this is a Yelid. Yelid. Now, I mean, doesn't that sound like a little bit of Yelid? Mighty Yelid. It's hard to even say, isn't it? I mean, it sounds like a dainty little flower. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies." Of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion. And the paw of the bear. Will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Where did this man learn something like that? Mm -hmm. Since every trial that we encounter. Is a chance for God's glory to be displayed. And when we overcome it. And we face the next trial look back and say, hey, he delivered me from the last one. This would be just like that one. But it's bigger. But it's it's taunting me. But nobody else has ever faced this. That's okay. Because you were delivered from the last one. You will be delivered from this one. Your God is with you. The reason we read the stories in the Word are to show you This man was in trouble and he was saved. This man was in trouble and he was saved. This one took 20 years but he was saved. This one 14 but he was saved. This one built an ark for 120 years but God's word was true. This nation waited 2,000 years but God's word is true. We're putting it in us, putting it in us, putting it in us so that we will think on it and it will begin to affect our actions. There is nothing more fickle than the average American Christian. God has said... God changed his mind. God says, (gasps) now it's hard. God says something else. Like a windshield wiper being tossed back and forth, ignoring completely an entire chapter from James. that says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. All of the time claiming, no, no, I'm righteous. I'm holy. Point to something I'm doing wrong. Mm -hmm. Is that what it's about? Point to the times you saw me stop at a stoplight? Is that really what it's about? I stopped at the stoplight. That's not traveling. That's not walking with God. Walking with God are the times you get it right, not that you stop doing something. You are defined not by a list of what you don't do, but what you do that is right. David was able to say, I killed the lion. I killed the bear. I know I can kill this Philistine. He did not say, I stopped sinning in this way. I stopped sinning in this way, so I know I'm prepared. Do you understand the difference here? It is a profound difference. Let's suppose that you are so holy that you don't drink caffeine. For whatever reason, some people got a problem with caffeine. I have no problem with caffeine. You are so holy you stay away from everything that you would call a stimulant, right? Uh, So we're going to avoid chocolate. we're also going to avoid a cigar.
1: Oh no!
0: <laughs> We're also going to avoid this, 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 this. So that makes me prepared to handle the devil, right? You know what makes you prepared to handle the devil? Every time you face a demon, you do what is right. Every time you face a trial, you do what is right. And by the way, if we go ahead and have our list of all we don't do, restriction, restriction, restriction. We don't watch this. We don't say this. We don't listen to this. We don't wear this. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't. What makes you different than a Mormon? What makes you different than a Jehovah's Witness? What makes you different than the Catholic priest? That's an honest question, saints. If you define your walk by what you don't do, what makes you any different than a Buddhist who also does not do those things? You show me where Jesus stood up and taught. I am holy to God because I don't do these things. You will not find it. Everything that he taught was action-oriented. He took common teachings of the day that were restriction-oriented, like Hillel's, don't do anything to your neighbor that you don't want done to you, and he turned them on end and said, do to your neighbor what you would want done to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. He took restriction and turned it on its head into an action. David had... I want you to have little trophies too. I want you to be carrying around a head of a lion. A head of a bear. So that when you see a boastful head sitting on top of a nine and a half foot tall Philistine, you know you can cut it off and put it on your shelf just like you did yours. God is training us to walk with Him. I taught Judah to ride his bike. I put him on it, I pushed it, and he fell. I put him on it, and I Walked behind him for a while, and I let go. He realized I let go, and he fell. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We did it again and again and again, and as long as he thought I was there, he could do it. Pretty soon, the time period between Daddy having to hold him and him being able to ride by himself got longer and longer and longer, and our God is doing the same thing with us. He should not have to show up in the flesh to get you to do what is right. He should not have to part the heavens and speak to you to get you to do what is right. The great men of faith sometimes went 20 years without theophanies. How much has he already shown you and what are you doing with it? Listen to this. But David said to Saul, no, we already did that. Uh, Verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. The Bible is about how you walk rightly, not about how you stop. When David put on these things, what did he do? Did he stand still and stop and say, Yep, I can stop grading them. (laughs) Yep, I can stand here and talk about fighting the Philistine with the best of them. God had pointed him and he said, I cannot move freely in these. Saints, there is something that God has given you that you are supposed to move freely in, with confidence in, doing what is right. You better figure out what it is. It is your life's calling. It is your whole life's calling. I cannot go in these, he said, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose Five ugly, rugged, jagged stones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Five smooth stones from the stream. Where did he find them? I am in the business of smoothing stones and, uh, or polishing metals. This vision has come to me many different ways. And I want to admit to you, one of my relatives who loves me very much says, Eric, those, those stones were probably in the stream a very long time. It probably takes a considerable process to have one stone tumble on another one and get it smooth. And there are times I see something jagged and I want to hit it with a big hammer and knock it off. I may push too hard in your life. That's definitely true. But the alternative is apathy and not caring whether it gets knocked off. Well, you can go sit in any church and find that. You can go anywhere and not be challenged. You can go anywhere and then be so seeker-sensitive that they are scared to death to tell you, I see a rough edge. Our heart's desire is to not be that way. Our heart's desire is to at times be sandpaper. Because if the stones aren't smooth, the giants don't fall. Now, I've heard everything in the world about why 5 Five, because it's grace. I've taught that, I'm not saying it's wrong. Five is this. Five is that. Turns me to second Samuel. Yeah, I mean that ought to be an easy book to find,
1: right?
0: Go to the twenty-first chapter. By the way, what did David do to that giant?
1: Look
0: at verse fifteen. Once again. There was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines, and he became tired. Anybody else got a word in there? He became exhausted. Why is it that we're always looking for some great man of God to go kill giants? Why is it that we think if only Oral Roberts was here, if only John Hagee was here, and why does the great man of God always have to come from some distance? You don't know him. You don't live with Him. You've never seen an imperfection. You've never seen a flaw. What is it about us that requires that? God works perfectly through imperfect vessels. He works perfectly through flawed people. You know what He never works through? Perfect people. He can't find them. He can't find them. His eyes are ranging the earth, but there aren't any. So he must do all right through imperfect people. So David, the great Philistine killer, right? I mean, the man who knocked down Goliath with a stone and cut off his head with his own sword? I mean, a great man of faith, right? Well, now it's battle, and what is he? Exhausted. And Ishabi ben-ab, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spear weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. Do you think that the enemy is looking for people who are exhausted? But Abishah, son of Zeruah, came to David's rescue. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle, so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. It's a good thing David had a brother there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. By the way, Rapha is a giant. He lived in Gath. And Ishbi Benab lived in Gath and was a son of Rapha. Just as me one. one. Okay, what comes after one? Two. In the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. At the that time, wow, well, Sibb. Sibichai, the Hushite, killed Saph, one of the descendants of Rapha. Rapha was a giant, a giant who lived in Gath. This is his second descendant. One, two. In another battle with the Philistines at Gath, Elkani, son of Jerai Oregon, the Bethlehemite, killed, this says Goliath, it's really Lamhi. Goliath's brother. The Gittite who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. You can read about that in 1 Chronicles 25 if you doubt it. 20 verse 5. He is a descendant of Rapha, who lived in Gath. That would be the third one. In still another battle which took place at Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on his hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. He was a descendant From Rapha. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shimei, David's brother, killed him. Well, there are four giants from Gath, all descendant from Rapha, and one of them happens to be Goliath's brother. They're all descendant from the same man. They live in the same town, and one of them is Goliath's brother. Why did David have five stones? Apparently, there are five famous giants from the same town. Here's something that I want to do. We've got who we need in here. At our next men's meeting, we're going to have a brother present to us five scriptures on index cards. At the women's meeting today, Jennifer will have five scriptures on index cards. At the next meeting, someone else will show up with them. You know why? We don't have enough smooth stones in our pouch. David went into battle. How many stones did it take? It took one, but he was prepared for all five. Why is it that we only want to kill the giant that is standing in front of us? I want to kill him, his friends, everybody he ever knew, everybody who ever liked him, everybody who ever looked up to him. I'd like to knock them all down. How prepared for battle are you? How many arrows are in your quiver? We're going to help you today. CJ, hand these out. Five cards goes to every person. Put five smooth stones in your pouch. I get asked all of the time, how did you know that? Another thing that I ask is, but why do you say that? Those kind of things. Will you counsel me? I want you to know that before you're ever counseled by somebody else, you should be counseled by the Word of God. So for the last 16 years, you have almost never seen me at any time when I don't have smooth stones in my pockets. I have a boss named Clint Foster. We were sitting one day, and he saw me pull something out. He said, I've never seen you with those. I said, that doesn't mean they haven't been there Every time you have ever met me. You know what else is in my bag? Every time you have ever seen me clap clen- he goes, no, what? And I pulled out a Bible. Saints, we need to be carrying smooth stones. Do you know why? God is calling us to knock down giants. Some of you have been through this with me before. You your ladies do it beautifully. You take these three by five cards, and because you got this giant satchel that is safe for you to carry, <laughs> you poke holes in them and put a ring on it, like car keys, and you throw them in the bag. And when we talk about this kind of thing and we see each other these pull them out and and flip through them like a Rolodex. But somehow or another the zeal starts to wear off at some point. And we think, you know, I guess I've just had my fill of God's word. I have enough. And then your life begins to show you you don't. And what do you do? Do you blame everybody else? Or do you go find some smooth stones from the street? Here's how we can help each other. David was exhausted in this battle, right? Uh, Am I the only one who gets tired? No. No? Brad, you've been tired before, right? What do you need when you're tired? Rest. That may be true. You know what else you need? Four brothers who will go fight giants with you. Because David went into battle, but he didn't go alone. He took five stones and five friends. We talk about how he faced Goliath by himself, but the next time he went to Gath, he had four brothers with him. And when David couldn't cut off the head of a giant, God raised up another brother who could. We need to quit our hero worship. We need to lay aside the idea that, well, uh, Abel can do that. Oh, well, maybe Matt can do that. God is calling you to do it. But that's just not my thing. It should be your thing. God has called every one of you to be Philistine killers. Every one of you. Why sit back and wait for somebody else to do the work God called you to do? Because I'm imperfect, that's great. God works perfectly through imperfect people. Saints, what we want is we want an environment where when I see uh, Aunt Michelle, I say, hey, Michelle, what's going on? She say, hey, i got something for you. They don't have to be memorized. Do you understand me? They just have to be what we talk about. She read me a scripture. I say, i got something for you. And I can read her a scripture. And then guess what? I run into Irma and Irma and I are in Walmart. I said, What you doing, Irma? She goes, I'm buying bread, but listen to this. She got a smooth stone. Mm-hmm. I said, Well, that's really cool. Ashley, what's going on in high school? Ashley said, I got something for you. And guess what? Your day becomes filled with then. Mm-hmm. You've been thinking and meditating on the Word of God, and you become dangerous to the enemy. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Paul knew the Word of God, saints? Yeah. Do you think he knew the Word? Yeah. He's a great man of God, isn't he? you have the access to the same thing plus, plus all of the insight he wrote down for you. What is holding us back? You know what's holding us back and that's the problem. Desire.
1: Desire.
0: Do we really have to wait until you're persecuted as a Christian to get serious about the Word? Do we really have to wait until people are taking our Bibles from us for it to become precious? Come on now. Let us learn. I've given you all index cards. Do yourself a favor. Do me a favor. Pick five scriptures and write them on. Carry them with you. I tell people this and I check back with them in a week sometimes. I say, hey, did you do it? Yeah, I did. Where are your index cards? Hmm. (laughs) Well, that's good. That's good. It's like saying I bought a car, but I can't remember where I parked
1: it. (laughs)
0: Can you imagine Bob bought a Tundra sitting out there? He loves it. Right? I'm happy. All of you should buy trucks. Every one of you. It's great at moving
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I bought a truck. Do you think that Bob treasures his truck? you think maybe when he parked it, he made sure nothing was touching it, no shopping carts, those kind of things? Do you really think he'd set it in a parking lot and forget where he put it? Come on, if this word is tra- precious to you, don't leave them on your dresser. Put them in your pocket. He said, but they'll get torn up. That's okay. I will give you five more.
1: <laughs>
0: so I'm not good at memorizing things. Nobody said anything about memorizing something. I don't have these memorized, right? I don't. I, look, I'm the pastor of the church. I do not have them memorized. You might have them memorized. I don't. But when I stop at a traffic light, I pull them out and I read them. So guess what I'm thinking about all day? I'm not trying to memorize it so I can put a notch in my belt. I'm trying to meditate on it, to chew it, to have it form my thoughts. Has anybody in our church experienced something good in counseling? Yes. One of you. I'm really happy. I feel like a grand success. Look, I'm a priest today.
1: <laughs>
0: Has anybody in our church experienced something good in counseling? Yes was not magical. It wasn't seven principles that have been hidden since the beginning of mankind. It wasn't 1999 and then by the rest of the book. I've never done anything in counseling but give people the Word, give them homework based on the Word. When they come back, talk to them about the Word. It has always been the Word. The Word will cure all of our problems. We just have to hide it in our hearts. By the way, if you had to find that, where would you find that? Hide the word in my heart. It's good Matthew knew that. That's good. I'm not trying to heap condemnation on you. I'm trying to illustrate something. I'm trying to illustrate We know we're supposed to hide the word in our hearts, and yet if we had to find that scripture, do you have to look in a concordance to do it? The other night I was at a prayer meeting. Why do you go to prayer meetings? <coughs> it's not a trick question. Why do you go to prayer meetings? pray I was not thinking of preaching and for five hours the word came out of my heart and my mouth five hours if we put your Bible up right now and say stand up and instruct us saints especially those of you that have been critical of me if you put your Bible down right now and say stand up and instruct the saints how many hours would you go things we all have to be giant killers. Every one of us. Every one of us. And it's not about oratory abilities. It's about the ability to do what God's Word says. Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine says, You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. It's funny, they go hand in hand. Because the power of God sets you free. And why do you walk in freedom? When you know his statutes. See, when you approach the intersection, you already know what to do. You're not deliberating it. You're not thinking, maybe I'll cross, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll turn, maybe I won't. Who has the right of way here? But that truck's awful big. You feel empowered. The men that Jesus said that to had all 39 books memorized. And he said they didn't know the scripture. How does that happen? Maybe they'd been around it all of their lives. Maybe they could quote it, but they'd never considered how it applied. The non-church make the best Christians. The hardest people to deal with on the planet have been raised in assemblies of God and Pentecostal backgrounds. At least when you're Baptist, I can teach you about the baptism in the Holy Ghost. You have found a new sense of power, and it kind of starts your walk over again. At least when you're Catholic, I can tell you about salvation by grace and then the baptism in the Holy Ghost and it kind of starts your life over again. But what do we do when people have been asleep in charismatic, spirit-filled, Pentecostal churches their whole lives? At some point, saints, you have to stand up and take ownership of this. with yeah. me to Deuteronomy. I didn't forget it was Rosh Hashanah, but I'm not ready to get there yet. By the way, do you know what comes ten days after Rosh Hashanah? I know you do. Yom Kippur, of Atonement. Anybody <laughs> so know what comes five days after that? Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles. You all know what that is, right? It's a feast that's given to Israel for the whole world. Did you know that every man, woman, and child on the planet is going to celebrate Sukkot? If they don't, they won't even get rain for a year. That sounds pretty important, doesn't it? So you all know what Sukkot is, Right? know what Easter is? We know what Easter is. We know what Christmas is. But do you know what Sukkot is? Yeah, we get chocolate bunnies at Easter. At Christmas, we watch a fat guy in a red suit. But we all know what Sukkot is, right? Why is it that we've invested all of our time into pagan idolatry and none of our time in what the Word says? And by the way, I love Christmas and Easter. I'm not throwing those out. I'm not about restrictions. Not at all. And on Halloween, I will eat candy, invite people in my house and talk to them about Jesus. I might even dress up and go visit other people's houses. I won't dress up as something ugly. I know that bothers you. That's okay. I am not into restriction. I'm into doing something that's holy. I do not think holiness is hiding in our houses. I think holiness is taking Christianity to the streets. If you choose differently, I'm not throwing stones at you. My stones are meant for something else get another great message, wouldn't it? Got
1: stones?
0: (laughs) Are y'all in Deuteronomy 22? Uh, If you see your brother's ox or sheep stray, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to it. If the brother does not live near you, or if you don't know who he is, who's my neighbor? Do you have to know him? You have to know somebody. In Israel, your neighbor is anybody that lived in your country. We have a big country. You have some 300 million neighbors. Take it home with you and keep it till he comes looking for it. Then give it back to him. Do the same if you find your brother's donkey or his cloak or anything else he loses. Do not ignore it. Why do you think God says twice in a row, do not ignore your brother's need"? Because sometimes we're so focused on our own need, we don't see our brothers. Huh. His car broke down. Oops.
1: That's
0: <laughs> what safety toes for. Isn't it funny that we try to legislate what God already says to do? If you see your brother's donkey or his ox falling on the road, do not ignore it. Help him get it to its feet. Help him get it to its feet. Any of you work with donkeys and oxen in here? Me? No. Matthew does. Y'all, please ask Matthew to explain that after the service. Corner him. Get him on tape and ask him to explain that. Since most of you are not riding donkeys and oxen, what are you riding in? That's right. Volkswagens, Toyotas. Hondas, better as Hyundai than a Ford. So if you saw your neighbor broken down, what does the word say? Do not ignore him. You're out on 59 when you leave here. You're driving down the road. Somebody's broken down. What's your very first thought? I don't know him. Right? If I stopped, something would happen to me. Do you know that the Word tells you? The Word says you are free to help Him. You are free to be alleviated from the thought that you should ignore Him. You are free to help Him get it back on His feet. Don't you want to be helped back on your feet? Write this down. It's Galatians 6, 1 through 6. I want to tell you. Galatians says... Help your brother with a load. <laughs> if I see Gary Kinchin carrying something and he stumbles, I am to help him. You know what the sixth verse says? Carry your own load. What a glaring contradiction. Mm-hmm. Help each other with a load, carry your own load. How could that be? The misuse of grace is, well, I know the brothers will help me, so I have no responsibility to get this right myself. That's a misuse of God's Word. God's Word says do everything that you can to carry your own load, and if you notice your brother has stumbled, do not ignore him. Do you see how we can take a verse about oxen in Deuteronomy? And here it applied to a Galatian church by a Jewish apostle in the New Testament. There is no difference between the two. Paul took everything that was in his culture and he expounded upon it to the whole world. Because God's way is right and salvation is from the Jews. That's going to be important when we talk about Rosh Hashanah. You are free to help your brother. You want to know what else you're free to do? Look at 21 verse 1. Deuteronomy 21 verse 1. If a man is found slain, actually, we probably don't have time to read this. Let me tell you. Imagine that you walk outside your house, and there's a dead guy, right? Oh, my goodness, he's dead. What do you do? Call 911, call the coroner, right? And you couldn't be any more happy when they haul the dead guy off, right? Because you don't want a dead guy in your yard. Am I wrong? Do you guys want dead people in your yard? I don't know if it was a gardening tip or something. So in Israel, if you walk outside and you find a dead guy, you know what you have to do? You measure. Whose town is he closest to? Because whoever is nearest him, it becomes their responsibility to do something. (laughs) This is great. This is great. It is your responsibility. Make atonement for the man who died. You walk out to a stream in a valley, you take an oxen that has never been plowed with and a field that's never been plowed, and you kill it. And you say, Lord, I didn't kill this guy, but I take responsibility for it. And I make atonement for the dead man. And God says, In doing this, the land will be atoned for and evil will be purged from among you. What could you learn from something like that? You're sitting in a restaurant. Man sitting across from you is obviously dead spiritually. Whose responsibility is that? Let's say that Gabe's there, John's there, Eric's there, Brandon's there. Whose responsibility is it? Well, I mean, Eric's the pastor, right? Now, who's sitting closest to it? Go ahead, get out your tape measure, because somebody has to make atonement for him. Do you see how the word, how the word enlivens you, frees you? But I don't know. I might be interrupting his day. No, the word sets you free to go make atonement for his life. And what way do you make atonement? Well, Second Corinthians five says he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. You go show him the way that he can be reconciled to God. So but how do I know if I'm supposed to do that? Who's he closest to? Is he closest to you? Then the word says you're free to do it. Says so at some point this has to become real, it has to become part of our lives. We cannot sit back and wait for someone else to do it. Deuteronomy 20 says something very interesting. 20, 16 through 20. You're allowed to lay siege to a city. Isn't that good to know? I mean, just in case any of you were sieging. Some of my brothers like to play Settlers of Gitan. It is a a siege works game. That's what you're building. You need different things when you're building these siege works. And one of the things you need is wooden roads. Where do you get wood from? We're trees. We're trees. You cut down trees. The Bible says that you are free to cut down any tree that you want to cut down to build siege works against the city. Unless the tree bears fruit. If the tree bears fruit, you are not allowed to cut it down. Why do you think the word would tell us that? Friends, you can lay siege to sin all day long. You starve it out. You ostracize it. You do everything you can to make it alone so that it will die a lonely death by itself. But if you see even one glimmer of fruit on a tree, you're not allowed to treat it that way. You have to embrace it. You have to prune it. You have to dig around it. You have to water it. You have to try to help it grow. What do you think the message in that is? How many people in your life have you laid siege to when God wants you to be in the fruit-bearing business? See, the word of God sets you free to not have to hold sins against people. It sets you free to cultivate fruit. In Deuteronomy 19, they lay out cities in Israel. Cities called cities of refuge. What if we built our cities by measuring the closest distance to the western border? And the closest distance to the eastern border? And the closest distance to the northern border? And we make sure that we have three cities that are centrally located, one in the west, one in the east, and one in the north. And then the Bible says you must build straight roads, direct access to all three cities. Get me here. One city in the north, one in the west, one in the east, with roads. Make sure that salvation, the cross, is centrally located in your life. Everywhere you go, you are free to lift Jesus up, John 3 14, so that all men might be drawn to him. But I don't know, is it okay at work? Yep. But I don't know, is it okay at a family reading? Yep. Is it okay here? Yep. How do we know that? Because the very heart of the word says you make it centrally located. I desire everybody to be able to get to a city of refuge. Now, nowhere in there did he say, you go throw cities of refuge at people and try to force them to live in them. You make it available. You hear me? These are ways in which the Word shows you you are free. I just gave you five of them. Five that you could put on a card if you wanted to. But I want you to go find your own smooth stones. You want to hear about Rosh Hashanah as we close? Yes. In Israel feasts are given. You can read about them in Numbers 29, right? I know you are all wanting to know where that is. Would you like to be able to read about them in two places? Well, guess what? You could go to Deuteronomy 16, then, if you want to read about it. If you want to read about them as they're given, you can start in Exodus 12 and then move to the right in your Bible. Wouldn't that be cool? Feasts start in the month of Nisan. Not in Nisan, outside? N-I-S-A-N. And I don't know what month Nisan was, but I know as soon as a feast was given, it became the first month. You know what feast was given in Nisan? Passover. It's called Pesach. And friends, when you partake of the Lamb of God and death passes you over, no matter what year of your life, no matter what day of your life, no matter where you are in life, you are born again. And it starts over for you. You can be 50 years old and have been dead for 50 years, and on your 51st birthday, be a one-year-old Christian. Their calendar literally started over in the month of Nisan on the 14th at twilight. This was Passover. It corresponds to Jesus on the cross. Actually, Jesus did die on the cross, and do you remember how he was announced? Behold the Lamb of God. Remember in John 8, he stood in the temple from the 10th of Nisan to the 14th of Nisan, and he said... If any of you can prove me guilty of sin, do it. It's John eight forty six. I know you knew that. Eight forty six. If any of you can prove me guilty of sin, do it. This is because they were all inspecting their lambs at that time. He was killed on Passover. He remained in the grave for three days, and while he was in the grave, the Jews were celebrating the feast of unleavened bread. After receiving Jesus, we move to a stage that is like. Unleavened bread. Were the father in the house, not the mother, a father in the house, the man who is supposed to be the priest, do you hear me, man? Takes a menorah, the light of God's word, and they get on their hands and knees and search every corner of their house for any leaven that is in it. Because as soon as you come into Jesus, you are supposed to be trying to get rid of every inch of leaven in your life. You know what they did when they collected it? They didn't put it in an ark and carry it around. Not about restriction. What did they do with it? They put it in a bag and burned it. What does God do with your sin? He paid for it. He's not keeping it. He's burning it. On the third day, when Jesus rose again, we had the third feast, also in the month of Nisan. Feast of first fruits. First fruits is very special because before the harvest actually occurs, you go out and find the most mature the healthiest, the most beautiful part of your harvest, and you tie a sash around it, a red sash. And you bring it to the temple of God and you wave it. And you say, Lord, I promise you when my harvest comes in, there is more out there just like this, and I will bring it to you. On that day, Jesus was raised. And in the harvest of humanity, what it is saying is, I promise you, Father, there is more out there who will be like me. And I will bring them to you. Say, that's us. He is the first fruits from among the dead. Those first three feasts occur Fifty days from Passover, Pentecost occurs. Pentecost in Jewish history has to do with theophany. It has to do with the appearance of God. This is because it was the third month, 50 days from Uh, The 14th of Nisan puts you in the third month of the year, which is Saban, that they arrived at Sinai. And God descended on Mount Sinai and he revealed something from heaven. They say this happened at Pentecost. It also happens to be the time of the ingathering of the feast. So they celebrate Ruth, the Moabitess, being joined because of God's revelation to the people of Israel. This is the day in which God descended with fire by way of his spirit upon the church, and foreigners like Ruth were grafted into Israel. After those feasts which occur in the first 50 days of the year, you go through a long gap. And in the month of Elul, E-L-U-L, nothing happens. That's the fifth month. The month before that, I'm sorry, Elul is sixth was of, and the month before that was Tammuz. Nothing happens in those months at all. Can you imagine you have four feasts in 50 days and then you have no feast for those next several months? Life gets boring, huh? You have to put into practice what God's already done for you. You wait. And what would pierce the sound of the air, what would ring out like the trumpet call of God, like the voice of an archangel, At sundown, which began their day, on the first of Tishri, which is the seventh month of their year, a trumpet would blow. This is the feast of trumpets. And the whole nation had ten days to get ready for salvation to become reality. They had ten days before Jacob would be cleansed of his sin. Now in those feasts, just those, Over a time period of seven, we have been through four feasts. You have all experienced Passover. You have all, hopefully, experienced unleavened bread. You have all seen first fruits. You have all tasted of Pentecost. What did Paul tell you you were waiting for? The last trumpet to sound. The voice of an archangel. The shofar of God. And that trumpet does not just announce your salvation. Romans 11 says, If Israel's rejection meant life for you, what would their reconciliation be except life from the dead? See, when Israel hears the shofar, we all need to get ready because the resurrection of the dead is coming on the Day of Atonement, which is ten days later, Yom Kippur. By the way, before we get to the last one, which is on the 15th of Tishri. I want you to understand that every one of these feasts, the words are holy convocation. The words are holy assembly in NIV, convocation in King James. That word in Hebrew is a single word, mikra, M-I-K-R-A-H. And if you're going to go to a dinner that is the night before a wedding, right, Through all of your parts to make sure that the groom doesn't get it wrong, to make sure the preacher doesn't get it wrong, all of those things. What do you call that dinner? Rehearsal. Rehearsal dinner, right? Because it's rehearsing for something that will be fulfilled the next day. Mikra doesn't just mean holy assembly. It is the word in Hebrew, rehearsal. So they rehearse these feasts and rehearse them and rehearse them so that on the day of their fulfillment they do not miss them. Are you feeling pretty good about Christmas at the moment? Mm -hmm. When Israel is saved, when we are joined with them and our bodies are glorified, the entire world will come and celebrate on the 15th of Tishri by building temporary dwellings, making offerings to God, and dwelling in the temporary dwellings and rejoicing that you and I in these tents had the presence of God but now he's given us buildings from heaven and the whole world will come and pay tribute to that event because it is the climax of human history and from the time Moses brought Israel out of Egypt to the present Israel still celebrates these feasts do you think you could learn something from them? it's amazing what's in God's word and if you think that is good you wait till next Sunday. Because next Sunday is as close a meeting day as we have to Yom Kippur. And it will be unbelievable. Can you imagine? From the least to the greatest, Jeremiah one thirty-three or 33, 31, verse 33 through 35 says, From the least to the greatest, they will all know me. I wish I could say that about even this church. From the least to the greatest, they will all know me. And God said it about an entire nation. That's quite a promise to see fulfilled, isn't it? Man, I long for that. Saints, stoplights and trumpets, what is important? What's important is that this is not about restriction. It's about how you proceed with God. What's important is that now that you know that the trumpet has sounded and we're waiting for atonement, these are the days of awe. These are the days when we're supposed to be encouraging all of our neighbors to get right with God. And we're supposed to be doing it ourselves. Most pious Jews fast ten days to get their hearts right with God. I have trouble fasting ten minutes. But let me tell you something. It's not about what you don't eat. You cannot eat and be unholy and you cannot eat and be holy. But if you go share Him with people... You are celebrating the Feast of Trumpets. Last thing I have to tell you is how many days did they walk around Jericho? Seven. And what did they do on the seventh day? And the walls fell. When we use the authority of the king of the sheep, the walls will fall. The walls will fall. You want to see some walls fall? Yes. Well, oh, I did. You ready to get five stones in your pouch? Yes. Isn't it good news that if John has five, and Gabe has five, and Bob has five, and Mario has five, and Adam has five, we are multiplying, we are multiplying our danger today. Have you ever wondered how one chases a thousand and two chases how many? Um, Oh, it's only two men, but it's a whole lot more stones. Stand to your feet. you're thinking about Rosh Hashanah and you want something to read other than Numbers 29, they always read Psalm 81 and Psalm 29, and they concentrate on them. And they, by the way, is the culture designed by God, not the church. Those would be good things to read. If you want some extra reading, look at the Day of Atonement, because when we cover Azazel, when we cover the goat that takes away sin, should leave you forever changed. If it doesn't, you might have issues with God. Yeah. We're going to end with a song. And uh, I encourage you, especially for this next week, find somebody and bring them. Got to find somebody and bring them. There is nobody that won't be benefited by next week's message.
1: A few of you would be
0: nice too if you showed up on Wednesday night. Right to have all the open seating, but we do miss our rubbish. What if there's more giants than people? Mm-hmm. better get out of the way. sing <laughs> 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 bringing in the sheep?
1: No. No. Yes. no. All right. Cool. There's one central theme. Uh,
0: central just a good part of the message put it that way is that this begins and ends with trust amen Amen. Uh, those are people who had to travel from distant lands The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you shalom. The word says, as we do this with one another, it says, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. So I pray God's name be upon you and that you be blessed. Amen? Amen?